Hello and welcome to IMCD's new podcast, where experts from across IMCD will be guiding listeners through a series of trending topics in the ever-evolving specialty chemicals and ingredients industry and its end markets. I'm Gary Turner from IMCD in the UK, and in our latest episode, we'll be wrapping up our discussion on the biggest trends in food and nutrition. I'm speaking again with some of my global colleagues on our third and final topic, one very close to my heart, which is conscious living. So if I may ask, first of all, Fergus, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Gary. I'm Fergus Johnson. I'm the business group director for um, food and nutrition, looking after the MIAF region. Fantastic. And hi, also Carissa, please. Hi, my name is Carissa Laurentia, and I'm the business and marketing manager of food and nutrition in IMCD Indonesia. Fantastic. And finally, hi, Jacqueline. Would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. Hi, Gary. Thank you very much. Jacqueline Grisotti, North American uh, Sales Director for Food and Nutrition. Fantastic. So what we're really here to talk about today is that shoppers are increasingly aware of the social and environmental impact of their purchases. And for many ethically minded consumers, plant-based products tick an awful lot of boxes. And as flexitarian, vegetarian and vegan diets hit the mainstream, there's a growing need for formulation support to overcome the challenges associated with replacing staples like egg in a recipe. So I think I'd really like to start, if I may, if I can come to you, Jacqueline, what does conscious living mean in your region right now? So in North America, conscious living means being mindful of our daily choices. So when you look at living consciously, it's part of, there's a lot of different aspects to it. Part of it is what we put in our mouths. Part of it is what we eat. So we're aware of the implications of the food that we eat. So the consumer awareness is about where food comes from and the impact of the production of food. So in a lot of different aspects, it's really about sustainability. So how are we going to sustain the food that comes into our, into our, 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 our space, right? And so the, the consumer is very conscious of where food comes from, how it's produced, and how it's packaged. And that's really important in this day and age. Yeah, I think it's a very similar situation in Europe. And I think um, consumers are making choices now, not just about the foods they eat, but about the impact those foods have on the environment. So I think it's really crucial for um, manufacturers today to um, include that important aspect in their in their product offering. I think lots of awareness has been made by uh, Greta Thunberg, um, David Attenborough, even Sean Mendes about the impact that food is actually having on our environment. And I think that link between food and environmental um, situations has come through now and consumers are choosing um, based around that information. And that's true. In Indonesia in particular where I'm in, uh, we see a lot of uh, drivers from the young generations about this movement of sustainability and also plant-based. Although it is uh, relatively niche compared to the other market, but this specific segment is growing ever exponentially. And also they put a lot of emphasis on environmental impacts and also health benefits of what they eat uh, because they, that's the other factor that they consider as important when they consume plant-based products. So uh, we see a lot of uh, mirroring from countries like USA. So I wonder from you, Jacqueline, if you can share a little bit on how significant this movement is in the young generations as well in Canada, for example. 
Oh, well, I think in the U.S. and Canada, especially the western part of the U.S., it, it's very big, actually. So we're looking at what the sustainability means, and it has a lot to do with uh, a low impact on the environment. It has a lot to do with uh, preserving land, with limiting pollution. So there's a lot here. Um, it also has to do with animal and human rights. So there, there's a lot of, to go into sustainability. And so I think that this is going to be a growing trend. And I don't even know if it's a trend. It's kind of going mainstream at this point. Uh, consumers want to see what's on a package, but they also dive into the company. It's not just about what's on the package. It's about what they stand for and about what they're doing to help with the planet and about sustainability. So I think that brands need to look at how they're launching products and that that will actually resonate with the consumer in general. Yeah, I think there's two good points raised there. I think um, certainly the age thing is definitely what we're seeing from our um, from our suppliers and from our, um, our customers. They're definitely the younger generation is really driving this um, sustainability ethic forward. Um, I think shamefully, um, people of my generation maybe didn't take that too seriously, but now it becomes much, much more important. Um, I think... Um, also, the fact that um, companies need to address this holistically, it's not just about what's on the package, but really about their the whole company's um, sustainability programs is becoming an important choice factor. Um, and maybe that's um, overtaking even important riders like costs for products. People are actually choosing maybe on other dimensions rather than, um, than just the product choice and the, uh, the cost. Yeah, I agree. Actually, uh, when, when it comes to transparency of ingredients, uh, the so-called clean labeling, the young generations demand for more transparent products with the ingredients that they are familiar with. But with that, uh, we see a lot of issues that comes along with it, like issues in formulation, having product stability, having great taste, and also having a cost efficiency that people can afford, especially here in Indonesia where cost is also the main factor of product development so we do see a role here that we can play as IMCD because we know how to um, cater to these issues because you know the in-house technical expertise we really do address the, uh, the right questions we solve the right issues basically being the right partner for it um, so yeah so Fergus is it in the UK uh, the same in here because in here we read the article in Innova that in the UK there's this uh, postpone on uh, sustainability program, I think, from the government because of the pandemic, uh, which is very significant also in Indonesia. There's a lot of need of extra packaging to preserve the hygienic uh, component of food and beverages ordered online, for example. Yeah, I think um, it's a very important um, aspect of uh, our choice. I think uh, the old adage that consumer wants everything. They want it to be healthy. They want it to be convenient. They want it to be sustainable. And I think um, these trends, trends are all really converging together. And the companies that can really um, tick as many boxes and get into the um, profiles of consumers as, as many consumers as they can are really winning. I think we're actually seeing probably in the UK a, a reduction in packaging. I don't think um, the COVID has attached that um, yet so much, but I think the, um, the fact that the, the oceans are being filled with plastics and a lot of that is food waste. And I think the, um, the actual impact of um, grazing cattle and CO2 emissions um, really hits home and people are having second thoughts. So I think um, the plant-based protein is um, 
movement is really based around health, but around about sustainability as well. So an interesting dynamic. Does that bring with it? I'm really fascinated. This, this conversation is wonderful. Um, I'm really interested in the formulation challenges that you may have across the world. As we have con you know, this conscious consumer, as you said, Fergus, that ultimately wants something to still taste like meat, but from a plant-based source. And I'm wondering what sort of challenges that brings in terms of formulation. I think um, lots of challenges. I think for me, it's the, the three dynamics, the three big trends are really health, convenience and sustainable. And you can kind of get two of the three, but getting three of the three is really difficult. It can either be um, healthy and um, convenient, so with a long shelf life and preservatives and things, but to make it healthy and convenient and um, sustainable is a real challenge. And I think that's where some of the expertise from IMCD in this formulation space can, can help and support that. But it really is um, a challenging um, dynamic for companies to, to achieve these things. Exactly like you said, to make um, a meat burger um, produced from plants to taste like a burger is, is a big challenge. I agree and we've seen that here in North America. So you look at uh, the two things that are really uh, important are texture and taste and those are the real things that you have to look at when you're looking at plant-based formulations. So uh, the nice thing is that we have a lot of tools in our, in our toolbox uh, to do that at IMCD. Um, so we have the taste component picture and I think we've done a great job and I think that there are a lot of, of companies that have also done a great job out there I and mean, you see it going mainstream it's going out there in uh, fast food restaurants it's going there at retail and uh, the plant-based phenomenon is no longer a trend but it's actually just mainstream so I think that's really important as we look forward and uh, how are we going to um, to expand on that um, there are things like fishless fillets going on, you know, which is very interesting in, in the fish part of it. And then you're looking also at, um, you know, the meatless burgers or the raw style burgers, as well as the chickenless chicken nuggets. So there are so many different things that you can put in there. And plant-based is going so much further than that. It's going into soups and sauces. It's going into dips. It's going into even, you know, obviously uh, dairy or non-dairy type of beverages. So I think that there's a lot that, that, that is going forward in the plant base, and it's not just for the vegan and vegetarians, it's for the flexitarians, and even for what's called the climatarians, right? They're, they're, they're very impressive, and the importance is to be with the climate and sustainability. How are we going to move forward on that? Very interesting, because uh, in Indonesia itself, we, we just developed this uh, so-called plant-based milk in our UHT lab, uh, which is actually solving a lot of issues in terms of uh, taste challenges in these plant-based ingredients. Like they certainly have uh, very different uh, taste profiles and so they have an off taste compared to having dairy milk. So we developed this uh, uh, hybrid milk. So we, we uh, combined this low lactose dairy milk with this grain-based milk, which is uh, creating a very neutral taste profile for Asian people because we're not that used to with uh, some kind of like almond milk or oat milk, which is very in trend right now. Um, but in terms of the meat industries, we're not that familiar. As a matter of fact, that so the infamous impossible burger that you may taste outside has not come to Indonesia. So we haven't really get familiar with it, but then also extension of shelf life is also something that is we're trying to emphasize 
because that also plays a role in cost efficiency and especially important in region like us, which has a, a tropical climate, not so good, you know, cold supply chain. So yeah, it might not be that relevant for four season countries like in the UK or in North America, but yeah, if you can share it to me, uh, any insights on that as well, Fergus. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think um, probably one of the big challenges for, um, for Europe is, is food waste. So this preservation and longer shelf life or even pack sizes that are smaller so that there's not so much um, bought, this is also becoming um, very top of mind. Um, even re resealable packages so that you don't throw things away once they're half open. This is also, I think, going to be a big uh, element of sustainability and consciously living in the future that we, we don't waste food that we, um, that we have. We realise now there's a finite um, food source on the planet um, and making sure we don't um, pollute that is, um, and, and waste that um, food source is very important. Such an interesting challenge this, because what's coming up for me now is actually around so the more that the consumer and indeed ourselves become more conscious, there's something about authenticity around the brand as well. So how, are our customers also struggling or having to be really mindful that we are aligning with people that are truly values based? Is values becoming a key part of food is a question I have on my mind right now. Maybe, Carissa, if I can come to you with that, is, is value something that matters around food choice now? Yeah, but again, I, I can't emphasize enough on young generations because that's really relevant for them. Uh, what they purchase is usually the products that they believe in. Uh, they believe in the brands that uh, execute their commitments in terms of their values. And this is uh, interestingly uh, more vivid in home industries or smaller industries rather than the big, big brands because they usually are closer to at heart, they uh, give personal values, they're transparent, they're, you know, provide full range of traceability. For example, there's a lot of brands that provide this farm to table concept, which, you know, people can dine in, they can pick their vegetables that, you know, uh, they're gonna eat the dinner with, they can stay there and learn about environmental impacts of what they do daily. So. It certainly uh, resonates in the young generation, for sure, Gary. Yeah. yeah I think here in Europe, a very similar um, story. Consumers, um, through social media and through um, digital um, channels, get so much more information. And I think um, younger consumers don't go with the brands anymore. They don't go with the adverts and they, um, they go with the values. They really believe in it. And I think um, authenticity and provenance is really important for them and food miles to that extent. They want to know that they're growing, they're eating local food. Um, they want to know that it's not traveled across the world at a great cost to the environment to get there. So I think um, it's more about connected consumer. I think we understand much deeper or our consumers understand much deeper um, where things are coming from, what the, on the label means. Um, and this knowledge is then impacting their choice. So I think it's um, a very interesting dynamic, especially driven by our younger generation. Is that similar in the US, Jackie? Yeah, absolutely, Fergus. So I think one of the trends we look at is transparency triumphs, right? So you look at all of these, um, the, the label is part of it, but also there's an ingredient storytelling. There's also the local aspect of it. And there's also the sustainable processing of it. So as much as, as you can be transparent as far as a brand goes, the better it will be. And you're right, when you look at the, the younger generation, they're looking at social media and they're able to find these things very quickly. Uh, unlike 
our generation. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying you and I, Fergus, by the way. But, um, <laughs> but so um, our generation, you know, we weren't able to look at those. Or it wasn't that important. But now it's incredibly important for that transparency. So we look at what the ethical concerns are. We look at clean label. We look at what the ingredient storytelling is. And that's very important for the younger generation and the consumers of our time right now. It's, it's so interesting. It really feels like this is beyond trend. It seems all three of you are speaking like this is not just a fad. This is not just a marketing spin. It really is a paradigm shift, it feels. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if, if, um, if the brands don't catch up, and I think often the big brands are the ones slower to move. It's the, um, the smaller and medium-sized companies that are much more flexible, or even startups that are finding this niche where they found this value um, and a connection with the consumer. I think it's really um, an opportune time for the food industry to, um, to help save the planet, as it were. So I think it's a really um, on-street, on-trend on um, discussion. So cool. So when we think about what's coming next in terms of maybe future trends or maybe new, new sort of evolutions in food, um, you know, what's next for, for example, plant-based? What's next for vegan? Is there any sort of up and coming trends that maybe our listeners haven't heard about yet? Or is there something new and interesting in, in your regions? Maybe if I can come to you, Jacqueline, is there anything that's really fascinating you right now in the food space? Yeah, for me, it's honestly the um, meat grown in a lab kind of thing. Right. So now I mean, it's going beyond plant based. It's going to how are we growing meat in the lab? And so to me, that's really the interesting part of where we're going. We have the, you know, vegans, we have plant based. Now we have flexitarian. Sorry about that. Um, and so but how are we going to be plant forward as we move through this and plant forward and plant based is no longer a trend. It is actually mainstream. And so where do we go from there? To me, it's more about how do we do this in the lab? How do we even come from something that, that how do we make something that comes from almost nothing, right? So I think that's the next step in this whole process. It's going to be very interesting to see where it goes. Fergus, do you see that over in your region? I see also this sort of um, laboratory-based um, meat building. I think also paradoxically, it's quite strange. I think we start to see vegetables um, being created, food being created from vegetables and plants for their own their own sake, not to mimic meat products, but really good tasting um, plant-based products that once people get into the trend of um, having the normal um, food through plant-based um, ingredients, I think now they'll actually start exploring more with plant-based um, products. So I think we'll see a trend of... Um, things that are not imitating what we used to eat, but things that are now innovative and new in that space. I don't know how that reflects to um, Indonesia, Carissa. Yeah, oh, well, Indonesia plant base is still small, but it's growing at a fast rate. But there's also this interest uh, that we observe about these insect-based uh, foods. It's definitely way, way ahead, but there's a lot of development of home industries making protein pancake mix with crickets. I don't know if you've tasted it, but well, in certain regions of Indonesia, some people do consume that daily, but not as a pancake form, but of course it's just crickets, right? It's, it's very interesting. But uh, I would say for Indonesia itself, we, we have always been flexitarian because there's a lot of plant-based diet uh, in our culture. Uh, so it's it's not something that's necessarily a sophisticated movement, but it's flexitarian. I would say it's more sustainable because at the end of the day, if it all transforms into plant-based, then 
probably something's going to go out of balance. At least that's what we hear from a lot of uh, people nowadays. So making hybrid products, I think, could be a sustainable approach in the long term for Asia. It sounds like Europe should be looking more towards Asia. I think um, traditionally, certainly in the UK, we're very, we're very much copycats of the, uh, the US. So normally the trends come from the US and we, uh, we, we borrow them and adopt them as our own. But maybe if we're heading towards this plant-based um, um, millennials, young um, plant um, diet, then I think APAC will probably be um, a good place for us to, um, to search for those answers. I think it's interesting you're talking about insects because I think that's definitely not somewhere we're going here in the US and in North America, but it's something that's definitely being talked about. So I actually have had cricket protein before. It's very interesting, um, but it has not definitely uh, been something that it's a formulation um, goal at this point here in North America. So I think that will be something that we look at because it's definitely sustainable and it's something that is, um, interesting and but uh, but i don't know that it's quite getting there here in the north american uh, as far as acceptance goes <laughs> yeah uh our customers recently as well they demanded for a lot of you know uh they address a lot of issues and improving their production efficiency as a form mm -hmm. of sustainability in the long term and actually we do believe that if they uh, have the right partner like IMCD in this case because we know uh, we have this technical expertise that is that understands fully from A to Z from formulations to production and processing and stability that at the end of the day will give ideas and uh, a lot of insights on how to improve that efficiency which uh, later on I think becomes more sustainable for these manufacturing especially in this such difficult years is that what you see as well, Jacqueline, in Canada? Is that relevant? Uh, definitely. I mean, we're looking at uh, process issues and uh, how to actually help with sustainability and how to formulate these plant-based products. So uh, the formulation challenges are many, and we talked a little bit about them before, but it it's really has to do with taste and texture. Uh, but we're able to help our customers uh, with those formulation challenges. I mean, obviously we have a great uh, lab here in uh, Toronto. And uh, so we're able to really look at those challenges with the plant-based uh, foods and, um, and look at how we can help these customers and with the consumer as well, um, get products that they actually appreciate and taste good and have the, have the bite that they're looking for. So I think those formulation challenges um, definitely are something that we have to look at, but something that we have the expertise in. As we start to wrap up, I'd really be interested in, if you were gonna look at the challenges that you face, what's the most common one? I'd really like to go like region by region. So Fergus, if you look at the, the inquiries and the work that we're doing in the European market, is there, a, is there a dominant challenge that you're looking to overcome? I know there's many, but is there a particular one that comes up time and time again right now? I think around meat analogues for us is really um, a booming um, area. We're getting several inquiries about um, how, how to formulate. And as Jacqueline said, very important about the texture and the taste. Um, I think the taste is quite easy part to solve, but the texture of, um, of meat is quite complex, especially cooked meat. Um, and so getting that texture right for there, but also the, the raw ingredients, the, um, the proteins are often quite bitter. 
Um, and so to make sure that this, um, once we've got the texture, to make sure we mask this, um, this flavor component from the raw materials, this is also quite a challenge. So if you ask me to pinpoint one thing, I think um, getting the texture and taste right of meat analogs is really um, our biggest challenge um, and the thing that we're asked about most. Um, we're very fortunate to have such a, a large range of suppliers that we have many solutions to overcome these problems. So, um, but that's certainly the things our customers are facing most. Great. Thanks, Fergus. How about yourself, uh, Carissa? What's, what's the, the dominant challenges you're facing right now? For our Indonesian region, I would say cost would be the main challenge right now because uh, all manufacturing, they want to reduce costs as much as possible by preserving the taste. So uh, extending shelf life is definitely one thing that they emphasize. But in terms of regulation, of course, we we would not be allowed to use as much preservatives as we want, right? So uh, this is where we come into play. We uh, tweak the production processing and formulation and also adding natural preservatives while maintaining the overall uh, cost of production that is effective and uh, reasonable for the production itself. So uh, in terms of, if you ask me about products in terms of plant-based, I think the main challenge that is present is beverages and dairy. We have been familiar with soy milk, but this new movement of oat milk, pea protein milk, it's, it's really difficult. It has a lot of aftaste, uh, which needs to be solved. Yeah, that's about it, Gary. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I have to agree with uh, Carissa. Um, but I think in North America, it's not as important for the cost. Uh, we, that's not the main consideration for us in the plant-based market and uh, in this conscious living space. It's really about the sustainability, but it's also about the taste and it's also about the texture. So a lot of times uh, we're looking at something like a pea protein, right? And pea protein has very off taste. So how do, how do we mask that? So we're looking at a lot of flavor maskers uh, so we look at a holistic approach to ingredients uh, here at IMCB and we look at how do we solve the texture uh, issue as well as the taste issue. And a lot of that is about the, um, the, the products that you actually use, the ingredients, the type of protein you use, as well as the taste and the taste maskers that you can use. So it's, uh, to us, it's, it's a holistic approach to it and looking at what we can offer um, to the consumer and to our customer uh, with, with solving all of those problems, with looking at the cost, uh, like I said, not as much as in Indonesia, it sounds like, but definitely with the texture and the taste. And those are the two main components when you look at plant-based products. I think cost an interesting um, dynamic. Is it cost to the environment or cost to the wallet? So um, I wonder whether people's um, yeah. ideas are shifting, whether towards um, whether it's more important to um, to save the, the, the planet or to save the pocket. So um, interesting point on cost. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, the listener. Uh, and thank you also to my colleagues uh, for joining us on this exploration of conscious living. We hope that you found the discussion interesting and insightful. And this podcast is part of a calendar of activities launched to mark IMCD's 25th anniversary, a major milestone for us as we celebrate over two decades of innovation and value creation. If you want to read more on the latest trends in food and nutrition, you can download a copy of the full trends commentary on our website, where you can also listen to the previous two podcasts from the food and nutrition team.
If you'd like to get in touch to discuss any of the topics in today's episode, you can contact us at podcast at imcdgroup.com. That's podcast at imcdgroup.com. I just want to say thank you for joining us, the listener today, and also Fergus, Carissa, and Jacqueline. Thank you for such a wonderful exploration today. Thanks, Gary. Thank you.